Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona podcast. This week we'll be reviewing Liverpool's magnificent victory over Manchester United. <laughs> we will also be reviewing the superb Champions League draw, which has just taken place and which we're all very excited about. So I'm joined once again by Michael De Silva. Hi, Michael. Hi, Musa. And Ryan Hun. Hello. Let's get into it. Let's get yeah. right into it. Liverpool. Before we uh, get into the draw, because the draw is wonderful, but let's just get the uh, Liverpool out of the way. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right, mate. Do you know what? I am all right because to all Liverpool fans listening to this podcast, I want to say such a superbly balanced side. I said this, I think, before that I feel that Liverpool are the almost a sort of Mauricio Pochettino Spurs, but with better resources and better squad balance. They just are perfectly balanced uh, in attack and defence. The midfield is so robust, so many options. And we saw with Shakiri come off the bench uh, to score that they have wonderful depth. And they just, you know, they have this astonishing intensity on the press. And they've managed to maintain, I think the addition of Naby Keita really helped, but they've managed to now maintain the intensity. They used kind of a, so Brendan Rodgers of half an hour, they'd go into these bursts. But now they can maintain that for like 70, 75 minutes. And that's the difference, I think. Shakiri was such a, an astute signing, I think. Um, and not the obvious player that you would think would add some some depth, some quality to, to Liverpool. But yeah, he fits that system perfectly. And just, you know... At a time when Mohamed Salah isn't quite hitting the heights of last season, um, Shakiri's a guy that can come in and fill that role really well. So, um, but yeah, the thing that impressed me about Liverpool was the the sheer intensity. They just swarmed United in the first twenty minutes. Um, in fact, didn't they have twenty shots in the first twenty minutes? Not all of them were on target, but something like that. It's insane. To United's one, by the way. 
Goodness. Um, it's so, quite scary that first 20 minutes. If I was a United fan, I would be, I don't think I would have lasted 20 minutes. I would have turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> it was relentless. It, it was, was absolutely yeah. relentless. And, was. and the thing was, from, from a Liverpool standpoint, I, I was a little bit worried that like, if they didn't score in that first 20 minutes, it kind of reeked a little bit of Liverpool not taking advantage of their domination and then United nicking a 1-0 win. Yeah. And even though the goal came a little bit later in the first half, I, th- I think it was a it was massive that Liverpool got it. After that first half, if they didn't go in, well, they went in level, but if they didn't, they went in behind. Yeah. That would have been The whole time terrible. it was 1-1, I was thinking yeah, um, Liverpool are going to be just so mad at themselves if they can't come away with a win here because um, typical United in some ways that they're able to stick in a game that they haven't deserved to be to be in you know but um, and with someone like Jesse Lingard they're able to pounce and score when they really need a goal and uh, Alisson got away with um, a pretty bad mistake in that game but yeah Liverpool are impressive top of the league again and it's good to see City having some real competition this year yeah, I think this Liverpool side is 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 legit. I think a few years ago when they went close, they didn't have any European football that season, and they were so heavily reliant on that front three, mm. um, that it kind of dragged them forward. You know, it's like a front wheel drive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. But, but they had no depth, and mm. as soon as the European competition came back in, they struggled. They were defensively a little bit suspect as well, but now they've just—I mean—they've got the best. They got the best defensive record in the league, or the second one behind City. Mm. Right, they've it's got better, the best one. Yeah, they've, they've conceded seven, seven, yeah seven all season, which is remarkable. We're almost at Christmas. Yeah, I mean, since the PSG game, they've won four on the bounce. Right, only conceded two goals. And remember, in that time as well, they Joe Gomez hasn't been there all the time. Trent Alexander-Arnold has been absent. We missed recently. this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and Mourinho praised Robertson as well, like how. His, uh, his engine. Um, and he's got a lot of quality, Robertson, which a bit like Shakiri, another guy that was kind of plucked from relative obscurity in a way. I mean, Shakiri had played for Bayern. But... Ex-Bayern and <laughs> Milan. <Yeah>. And Stoke. <laughs> no offence to Stoke listeners. Um, but yeah, like not the obvious go-to signing for, for Liverpool and someone who's proved himself, I think. Then again, in terms of not the most obvious signing, I think the, the beauty of signing Shakiri is he's a player who would not expect to start every week. Mm, yeah. You know, to that extent. And he's someone who you look at and go, well, he's been in these other players, these other teams, other clubs. And it's not like Liverpool's a last chance saloon for him, but there's a sense of, I've really got to make it work when I go here next. Yeah. And he can slip seamlessly into a system. And I was talking to uh, Harry Sethi on the Anfield Index podcast, I think, before this this uh, this game. And he was saying like, you know, what the kind of challenges here? And I was like, you know, it just, it's a system. Mm. You take out Firmino, you take out Salah and they bring somebody else in. And it's interchangeable at this point. You know, there's not really, and I think I predicted a 2-0 win actually. So a two-goal margin of victory for Liverpool. Mm. Just because they just feel like even in a game of this importance, scale, they can now snuff out United. And I think unfortunately, if United aren't careful, their rivalry with Liverpool is going to go the same way as the England-Germany football rivalry. They're not careful. <laughs> They're really not careful. Yeah, I mean, this this Liverpool team, Joe Gomez doesn't play and Lovren comes in, who was their first choice centre-back in previous seasons. Or, you know, Henderson doesn't start, Milner doesn't start and they bring in Fabinho and Keita, who, to be fair, although he was a great signing, he hasn't had a great season, Keita. He's not been 
outstanding by any means. That's just the difference now where they aren't reliant on, you know, a world-class striker. That it's it's much more balanced and collective, like you mm. said, and interchangeable. If Firmino comes out of that team or Mane comes out of that team or Salah comes out of that team, you can even bring Daniel Sturridge in, who's right. you know scored a great goal at Chelsea and played well when he's come in, and and Shakiri as well. And that's the scary thing, I think. Now, I think, and um, you know, this is definitely the best Liverpool team I've seen for at least twenty years. I it's think twenty nine years, I'd say. Yeah, but there was periods of the early nineties when they didn't win the league, but they were still Liverpool, you know. And they, um, I think this, this is. This is the most for real I've seen them for a while. Yeah, this is the most complete squad they've yeah. had. I, I just think, I mean, I, I just got to shout out the 0809 Liverpool team because that team was one winger short. Of Actually, being, that's a good shout. Yeah. Can I just say that yeah. team? I, I, I've always said that the failure of Benitez to sign Maluda was the game changer that season. If he bought <laughs> Maluda because he was really after him mm. and you could see him just being like, oh my, because he had Babel instead, I think, who was, you know, still a very good player. But. Maluda just gives you the consistency every single week. Yeah. And the thing with Liverpool now is the consistency <clears throat> of these players. And it's funny because Salah may not be, he may not be, it's almost like sort of Lewis Hamilton with Mohamed Salah. Like <laughs> he's not as spectacular maybe as early as early era Hamilton, yeah. but he's ruthless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, He is ruthless. Like his finishing is still brutal and he's such a threat. You know, when Salah is playing, his movement his movement and his ability to occupy the fullbacks, just open space to everyone. If you watch Liverpool, the way they were playing in that game, the amount of times they had room, mm-hmm. the left wing overlap, yeah. Yeah. because Salah just dominates the flank. And you see them playing the ball wider and wider. The amount of shots that opened up in the last 25 minutes, because he drags, it's like a centre of gravity, he drags to the right flank. You know, who was? you talk about creating space and opportunity. I, it was so good to see Fabinho um, come in and play such a big a big role for Liverpool. And for me, he was the man of match in that game. He, he absolutely controlled the midfield. His his pass for, for Mane's, Mane's goal, the opener, was Delicious. just so nice. It was just absolutely perfect. There was only one place he had to put that ball and he, and he delivered it. And also, this is a guy who, for Monaco in the season that they reached the semi-finals of the Champions League, was absolutely crucial. Yeah. Absolutely crucial to what they did. And it was a little bit surprising to me for the last three months to see him not really playing a part. I think I think Klopp's got a plan for him, though. I think you saw it maybe with like the likes of Lucas Torreira when he came in or Granit Xhaka or someone like that as well. There's like certain midfielders who are used to certain leagues. I think, I think, it's, I think it's a really hard position to play. And mm. especially when you're changing to the Premier League, which the pace of it can sometimes catch people off yeah. guard, especially if you're coming from something like Serie A. Can I say the pace of it is interesting and also maybe the kinds of runs that are being made towards you. Mm-hmm. You know, people growing up playing in a midfield two and playing box to box mm-hmm. and you've gone up in a midfield three and there's a different type of pressing that you receive, a different type of pressure on the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, you come from a league with a midfield three where both teams are giving each other space to play football. Yeah, They always say in the Premier League, you get more space to play than in the lower divisions, mm-hmm. but that's in, in the context of the English game. If you're playing in the Premier League, um, and you've gone up in a four-four-two. You're much more accustomed to being battered, pressed like ninety minutes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it just takes a little bit of time, I think, just to work out what the passing lanes are. But once they adjust, they're they're great. The one area I thought Liverpool might come unstuck with this season was their midfield. Actually, I think you saw it in some key games this season, even against PSG last week. Um, sorry, Napoli uh, in the Champions League. There was basically nothing in midfield. Mm for both sides actually when they went to chase the game that was the only area where I thought was a little bit questionable um, in terms of like a real sustained uh, title push right 
But I think I think Klopp's got the balance, you know, and he's got people. Um, I mean, I think we said it off air. You know, it kind of feels a little bit like it's now or never for Liverpool in mm. in in a in terms of not now or never, but everything's set for a really really big title push. The game against City is going to be at the Etihad is going to be massive. When yeah. is when is that? Uh, it's third of third of January, and they've got Arsenal, which probably won't be that hard a game to be honest. At Anfield just before New Year, and before that they've got. Uh, Wolves and Newcastle which I mean they've got a full week off this week mm. or until Friday they play Friday which would be good for them because one of the things they've that started to happen is some injuries have started creeping in they've got a pretty well spaced festive calendar with Wolves and Newcastle before Arsenal and City so they'll have time to rotate in terms of the title race and, and their fight with City the thing that concerns me I guess a little bit is that Guardiola seems to be keeping Kevin De Bruyne in in reserve it's almost like they've got a fifth gear or a sixth gear that they're just waiting to you lock sound like in. They've got an eighth gear. You sound like a truther. Yeah. You really think the De Bruyne is being kept back <laughs> to, to wreak havoc on an unsuspecting Yeah, yeah because because uh, he's recovering from a, a serious injury. But Michael, it's funny you should say that because is it not more a reflection on the incredible squad strength that they can just afford to let him recuperate? Because they've, they've got Gundogan. I mean, this is the wild thing. You've got, you get rid of De Bruyne, you bring in Bernardo Silva. You get rid of Bernardo Silva, you, you bring in like, I mean, Fernandino can rotate and play actually one of the eights if he has to. You bring in Phil Foden. I mean, my goodness. Sissi are winning games at the moment without De Bruyne, but it's not always going to be as easy as it is now. And when the Champions League comes back up, they're playing they're playing Schalke, which is a deceptively difficult game against a team that are going are gonna to battle hard. De Bruyne, I think, is is uh, best to make sure he's one hundred percent. And when right. he is, he's 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 going to be a key asset to that team again. Like absolutely, right. he's going to raise their level another another five percent. And what I'm saying is, that it's going to take it. Um, it could take them above the the level that Liverpool are currently at. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, totally, I totally agree with that. I think that in relation to De Bruyne, it, it's kind of crazy actually how good City have been without him. And I think there's a danger. I certainly. I, it's almost easy to forget how, how good they are with him and how he makes everything tick. The ball just moves quicker. The players move more quickly. Um, the types of goals they score. You know, it's funny that there's, um, I think Carl Anker mentioned, um, you can find him on Twitter, at Ankerman, A-N-K-A, man, 616. Um, Carl Anker mentioned, he's really good at tweeting about City in particular, how they sort of have that sort of driven ball across the box, mm. six-yard tap-in. You know, they do that all the time now, but De Bruyne kind of pioneered that. He was the mm. guy that would drive the ball between the centre-back and the goalkeeper, that really difficult pass, mm. and really was the inspiration for their counter-attacking moves. And I just feel like, there's something else I want to say about Guardiola as well. <clears throat> He's been someone who's moved on from clubs fairly quickly, and Klopp's done that too, to an extent. Mm. I just wonder if these two managers have found clubs where they're happy to become part of the institution. And actually, we might see them both there for seven, eight years. It's interesting years. that, yeah, because you know, Guardiola was at Bayern for three years, and... Right. Barca for how Four. Four, yeah. And he's yeah. never been, Guardiola has never been at a club like City where you don't have senior players, mm. ex-players in the media constantly getting at you. You don't have that kind of whole, you know, the the, the blood feud with, with, with other clubs that's so draining. You're just being left alone with resources to tinker and make beautiful football. Yeah. And like, you know, Guardiola's basically like got his like, you know, expensive Meccano set and he's off tinkering away and he likes that. Klopp now and Guardiola don't have this natural animosity. And I think also because um, City don't have 
the sense of history in the same way the clubs that um, Guardiola's been at, he's almost building that heritage himself right now. Do you see what I mean? So this is almost the funny thing about um, now and ever, funnily enough, it's like interesting, yes, but what, how do we define now? Because now could be the next four or five years. For, yeah. with, mm. with, with this Klopp side, if we look at the age of who he's bringing through and the age of the players, mm. and this is not good news for United at all, the beautiful balance of the City squad and the Liverpool squads, but also the youth of these squads. Yeah. You compared Joe Gomez to Raphael Varane mm. right, a few weeks ago on the podcast. And at I was the, kind of... At the start of the season. And what a great yeah. shout that has actually been because Joe Gomez has been outstanding and Varane's been pretty poor. And yeah, Joe Gomez's better. level, yeah, yeah it, it's actually... And you said that, you know, the development, the speed of development under Klopp is remarkable these players. Klopp was at Dortmund for what, six, seven seasons? But it really took him till the third season for it all to click. Right. And that was when they won the double. Yeah. First double in their history. Mm. And a Bundesliga record points total at the time before mm. Bayern went and beat it. It's weird because we were talking about this before, but I look at it and the more I, th I thought about this, this Liverpool team feels quietly relentless mm. in a way that I haven't seen. Mm. Like this Liverpool team, I think it's better than the Man City team. I think it's better. Do you know what I think it is? Do you know why I say that? Because... There are problems that Man City have that I don't know they've solved. Mm. I think, for example, that the, the over-reliance on Fernandinho, not just in terms of the wear and tear on that player, but even the way they play out through him, Liverpool bullied, they bullied Man City. Mm. The late stages of the Champions League really reveal, what's, what's that great Warren Buffett quote? It's only when the tide goes out that we see who's been swimming naked. <laughs> and <laughs> look, and I'm just saying, I, I just this quote is... And it, it, I look at Man City and I look at what Liverpool did to them, the Champions League in the late stages, and they were brutal. They swarmed that mm. uh, midfield. And I just don't know if City have solved that level of problem in the late stages of the Champions Klopp's League. Klopp's often had this thing over Guardiola where it's like a, you know, a hoodoo over him, you know. But, uh, and that stretches back to um, their time in Germany. But the thing that was holding back Liverpool last year, for example, was that consistency you know, winning the games against the lower op right. opposition. But Liverpool have ironed that out. And that's where I worry a little bit about, well, don't worry, because I'd like to see Liverpool win the Premier League above City. But this is where I think City could be undone a little bit. I'm really glad that so far on this podcast, we've discussed Liverpool and we haven't discussed everything in the context of Manchester United in crisis. Don't worry. Because the narcissism of that, I think a it's, lot of... It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, Moose. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it's coming right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, wow. There oh, you go. Oh, my we you spoke now. too soon. Oh Before we do go on to Man United, I just want to kind of say that I think also the, the setup at Liverpool is more advantageous to Klopp than it was when he was at Dortmund because he hasn't got the threat of another team in the league poaching their star players. There's no one at that Liverpool side who's going to go to Man City or to Manchester United, really, Excellent point. Excellent or point. to Spurs or to Chelsea. Right. Since they've got rid of Coutinho, there's no one in that squad who is always linked with a move away or wants to seems to want to go publicly. It seems right. to be really unified. And that was always a problem with Liverpool. You know, Torres wanting to go to Chelsea. Gerrard wanted to go to Chelsea at one point. Suarez went to Barcelona, etc., etc. Sterling went to Manchester City. Now, there's no one in that squad who would want to walk, I don't think. Well, what's funny is that, and we'll get into this slightly later, but how poetic that Klopp, the Dragon Slayer, returns and play against <laughs> Bayern in the Champions League. Mm. I mean, if he toppled them, that would just be... For him, maybe more of a master than he might care to admit. I don't know. I wonder. He'd love to. He'd, yeah, there's nothing. We'll, he'd love it. He'd love we'll, it. we'll get onto the draw. We'll yeah, get to, yeah, we'll get yeah. to that. Sorry. So, but yeah, United. The um, elephant in the room. 
Well, <laughs> can I be honest with, all, with both of you and everyone listening? I don't have any problem with discussing this stuff. I would mm. just say that I never thought that I could see no deal Brexit in football form until I watched a lot of United this season. It's just, it, it, it's a no deal Brexit watching this team. It's just, there's an absolute multiple organ failure. It's all, it, it, it's, it's completely systemic. The degradation of squad quality is poor. There is no leadership in, in, in key areas. Not not nowhere at all. There is leadership, but not not in the key areas. Juan Mata's on the bench, even though he's superb normally at Anfield. He stopped blogging as well, two weeks in a row now. I mean, and David De Gea is no longer being a superman. He's just merely having a normal season, which is why these goals are going in. It's a disaster in all areas. Do you think that United are going to be able to agree a deal before 29th of March with a new coach? Oh, great shout. I love that. Nice segue. Um, no, because I don't think... The problem with United is Mourinho is the logical... If you had if you had an AI, if you got an AI and, and fed in all the data, like, okay, look, or a Siri or Alexa, program me a football club where the owners don't care about football, where they don't, they don't understand it. Uh, the executive vice chairman thinks he can supervise, you know, player acquisition. Uh, when you get a manager who doesn't seem to enjoy the game, we get a squad of players who are badly balanced. It would it would come out with Jose Mourinho as the manager. So that's the guy you want to manage the team. You, it would it would give it would give you the Glazers. It would give you Ed Woodward. It would an AI would literally. It's almost like this has been computer generated. There are a few clubs that fall into that category. Not everything you just mentioned, but the this is the yeah the, the the desire to use a club as a vehicle to systemic to but this is systemic create, dysfunction. To, to create cash but not to create success but to this extent this is different this is the scale of the debt that has been loaded on united the thing that surprises me disappoints me i guess about this whole thing is the sense of apathy at united it's almost like well it is the way it is i mean where's the green and gold because those people have been systematically silenced like United have tried to set up like, you know, parallel clubs and protests. You know, they've really tried. And now United fans are staying away. And I think that's actually a really powerful form of protest and extent, like for people to see on sort of the international TV screens, because I know that match day revenue is not the big thing, but mm. just to see gaps in crowds is incredibly powerful. It's incredible because there are still people in the United in the club's infrastructure who care so much about the club passionately. They may be outnumbered at the very top. To be fair, I didn't know that. Are they a United fans staying away from Old Trafford? Some are staying away. I mean, tickets tickets are slow are slow to sell um, right. for some of the Champions right. League games as well. Tickets are slow to tickets that normally would be sold out really fast mm. are not going so quick. There was the uh, yeah, there was that famous email that went out for the was it the Valencia game or something? There was still tickets available, but but I mean I mean I I'm home over Christmas and I looked at trying to get tickets for the Huddersfield game and they were pretty much sold out on Boxing Day. So I mean, yeah, if they can sell out Huddersfield. They've probably figured out a, a formula of selling just enough tickets for it to f yeah. fill the place. And also they had the same problem at Arsenal where season ticket holders stopped turning up. Yeah. So it would be the official official attendance was sold out, but there'd actually be yeah. 15,000 people missing. I went to a few of those games, yeah. I went to a few of them. I don't know. I, th I mean, I agree with everything you're saying about the ownership and stuff like that, but I think that fans could forgive, if you like, for want of a better term, a lot of the stuff that's going on off the field if there was some sense of cohesion on it. And there isn't. And that's the thing, it's that fans of football clubs, we've all done it to various degrees. We forgive very quickly if things are going all right on the football pitch. 
And the level of confusion that is around Manchester United at the moment is confusing. Yeah, but you can't expect there to be cohesion on the pitch when behind it's chaos. It's just it's there has to be the structure has to be there. Yeah, but the, but what what where is the chaos behind the scenes though? I mean, I know that they need an upgrade in structure. I know that they need to like modernize the football club, but. Mourinho will hardly have any contact with the Glazers. So any of that side about the club club getting sold or everything like that doesn't affect anything that he's doing in training. And I think the thing is, is that that's not a reason why Paul Pogba's on the bench for a Liverpool game. I'm not saying you it know? is. I'm just, I'm, what I'm saying it is, I mean, it, some, some might say it doesn't matter what goes on behind if the pitch, if the players, if the players great. But I'm, look, the reason why this upsets me the way United are playing is the cynicism of what we do on the pitch, it completely mirrors what's off the pitch. It's like it holds up a mirror to it. Like Mourinho's behaviour, like you know, him being him being in charge of this club as a figurehead of United actually is the perfect manager for our times. Like the the, the fearful, defensive, negative football, dragging your players in public. It's brutal. There was a I was seeing a Bobby Charlton in the crowd. So Bobby Charlton in the crowd was just like is this what you did it for? You look at him going, he didn't want Mourinho there because this is this guy is not the guy that reflects us, but he does reflect us. And, you know, and getting into the on-pitch stuff, because I know that, because the, the problem with United is so often we don't talk about the ownership. We just go straight to, our oh, Mourinho's this, Mourinho's that. Actually, Mourinho is a perfect expression of where the club's values are. Because some, if you want to bring in somebody that cares about football, you don't employ him. You know, who cares about more than just results? You don't employ someone like that, or you don't keep them in there if they show no signs of changing. And Mourinho hasn't changed. There's always talk about softening up. He hasn't. He's actually doubled down. Mm. And to get specific, Paul Pogba on the bench, I don't know what is going on with him personally. I don't know what has happened to him, but you look at Pogba and his whole demeanor. It's so strange. It's like watching a kind of um his aura is totally gone. You watch Pogba against Uruguay and the way he stood tall and he was up against that superb midfield. Bantan Corn Torreira, and he was magnificent. His stride, like, you know, his passes, his pass selection, his movement, his positioning. You look at him now, and it's like, I'm not being funny. You know that, that slow run-up that I saw him do for the penalty? My heart just sank. Mm. My heart sank when I saw it, because I was like, you wouldn't do that for France. Mm. There is something about Pogba when he plays for France compared to United, like the role that he takes in, the leadership role. You see him at United, it's so weird. It's like he regresses. It's like he came back to Old Trafford, and all of a sudden you know, back in the kind of place he doesn't enjoy being in. And it's almost like he regressed. Like even the decisions he makes, like, don't get me wrong, like it's a systemic problem at United, there's other things going. But just Pogba is an emblem of like how this team has lost its way. Pogba was getting the most simple passes wrong and the movement, the positioning, like when he plays for France, some can say, well, better players around him. And I've made that argument as well to times, but it's also like about his own headspace is conditioning he just looks absolutely miserable this is kind of my point that i was making before and it's like you look at manchester united lineup every week and you have no idea who's going to play and not in a good way right no you know not like oh there's a really interesting tactical tweak there to kind of counter something with everything that's going on off the pitch right you'd hope i'd imagine as a manchester united fan that there would be incremental things on the pitch that stabilized it in some way because this is Manchester United. Why Why is Ashley Young playing right back one week and then all of a sudden it's Valencia another week and then actually it's Diego Dallo or is he at left back? I don't know. Or actually maybe we'll put Scott McTominay as a centre back. There's no partnerships being built. Mourinho is not making it easier for himself or the team. He's making it harder, I think. To an extent, is he, Is he? and I'm not a Mourinho fan, but is he um, trying to make a point that he wasn't backed in the transfer window? That he's running out of options. 
And if they had backed him, then he wouldn't have to play this player here or whatever. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I think the issue is that Mourinho is, he's a problem. There's no doubt about it. He's not, he's not the right man to guide United forward, but he's not the biggest problem at that club. He's not supported by Ed Woodward. I don't think Ed Woodward knows what he's doing. If you look at his background, I don't really know why he's in that job. And as Musa said, the, the guys running the club don't even like the game. So for me, those things need to change before we start talking about what the problems are on the field. A really good coach with modern coaching methods. If, if you gave Hasenhutl that, that same squad, he'd make them look different. Oh he'd, God, transform yeah. them. he'd transform it's them. It's interesting you mentioned Hasenhutl because after their win at the weekend, Charlie Austin came out and just openly said things weren't working under Mark Hughes. Um, and the new coach has come in, he's got new ideas and we've all got energy again. You can imagine a lot of United players just turning on Mourinho the moment that he was fired and they brought in someone new. The most painful thing in all of this has been the pity of my traditional enemies. The sympathy that we've received from so many fans. <laughs> that is the, almost like the biggest diss. It's awful, yeah. It's you know awful. I mean? yeah. Right, should, we, yeah, yeah. Should, we, should we get you a cup of tea? No, yeah, let's get me a cup of tea. Let's go for a break. <laughs> And so we're back to discuss the superb UEFA Champions League draw. And I want to quote the great sports writer Hugh McIlvany here, who once said, a Champions League draw so sizzling it should have been made with an oven glove. <laughs> and this isn't. I like so it. does he mean the ball should have been drawn whilst wearing an oven mitt? He mean, Yeah, he means the draw was so hot. It was like, wow, it was sizzling. Okay, it would have burned your hands. As opposed to the balls being refrigerated. Yeah. Cold you know what? <laughs> I'm going to set a timer. Let We're going to do two minutes max on each draw, each each tie. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go. For let's run through and each I'll, one. And I'll just say next awesome. when the two minutes is up. So let's get go. ready. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Three, two, one, go. First, Schalke Man City. Oh my goodness. That is a bad tie for City. That Lieber God. That's what I would say about Lieber that. God. I think it's it, it, City will have to break them down. Like Schalke know how to defend. And, but yeah. I mean, for me, the main thing that stands out is Leroy Sané. Back yeah. where it all began. The and homecoming. That could, that could be nice for him. Big test for Tedesco. But I think he I think he's I think he would probably prefer a game like this as opposed to one where they would be expected to win. Do you know what's good yeah. for Schalke? Which is where Schalke have struggled this yeah, year. Exactly. Schalke just had that um derby against Dortmund, which they narrowly lost. Yeah. But that was a tight game and it needed Sancho, you know, Sancho corner, Sancho yeah. corner. <laughs> it needed Sancho to bring something out of the bag yeah. uh, very special to win that. So Schalke, I think that's the first the first leg is home. It's in yep. Germany. Sixty thousand fans mm -hmm. in the Ruhr going wild. City are not going to fancy that. I mean ultimately City will probably prevail, but um but uh, the Champions League has almost liberated Schalke this season, you know. Mm. Um it's been it's been an escape from their Bundesliga woes. And, you know, they've come through like two games against Locomotive Moscow, they've won one nil, and they know how to grind out these results. Um but Tedesco, yeah, I, I think I agree that a big game is perhaps more suited to them. And, and also, I think that the, the the way that he likes to manage Schalke, I think, actually will cause City some problems. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm really hyped about this one. I think also Guardiola, away from home in the Champions League, mm. has actually a fairly poor record considering <laughs> the quality of his, you know, you know the quality of his teams and the amount that he's won over the years. So yeah, that that would be a really fascinating tie, I think. Yeah, Sharka City. Yeah, big fan of that one. 
Next up, Atletico oh. Madrid, Juventus. Oh. That is beautiful. Oh. That is beautiful. Um, that is going to be f- so full of shithouse reads. It's going to be <laughs> unbelievable. I think the ball's going to be in play for about 20 minutes combined in those two legs, I think. Yeah. I think the Antichrist himself, <laughs> the Antichrist himself put that in his uh, in his calendar. I mean, he's not going anywhere, but like, for those two legs. He's, he's staying in yeah, for that yeah. one. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh yes, the manifestation of my id in Champions League football at Leti Juventus. It's glorious. Who, who's going to win? What, the bar fights or the... Yeah. <laughs> I I think Ivo are going to do it. I, I think Atletico. I think one of them will do it. You've got the casting vote, Musa. I just think it's so funny how Ronaldo cannot escape Atletico. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for them to snuff the life out of Juve. I just think that they... What I love about Atletico Madrid is it's the brutal efficiency of it all. They, they played... Um, uh, Dortmund, I think they had like thirty-two percent possession at home, and they beat them two 0 I just snuffed them out, mm. and they're only three points, I think, off the lead of La Liga, and they haven't been that good in terms of their start. Yeah, and they're still clicking. So I just think they're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think it could be that. a tough one for Juve. Um, I think Atletico, yeah, they they know how to grind out these kind of wins, even against opposition as good as Juve. But Juve has struggled a bit, so. Um, yeah, it's I'm, just going to be. I'm with joy. Atletico. But oh. It's going to be either gonna be unbelievable. Or absolutely awful and unbearable. In which, in, beautiful in both cases. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a savage beauty to. I'm just I'm just licking my lips at it <laughs> because you've got so many players. I mean, you know, Juve. They're, they're so these teams are so alike in their brutal efficiency. They could almost walk into the wrong dressing rooms and think they were playing. Like if if Bentancur put on a Madrid uh, Atletico Madrid shirt, you'd be completely home at it. Like, do you know what I mean? How many Atleti players would could easily play for Juve and vice mm. versa? Sorry to cut you off, but next. That's oh, not two minutes. I'm, I'm just so excited by that. Next tie. Oh. Oh, United PSG. You know what? I don't think that's a bad draw for Man United. I think from of all the quote unquote big teams that they could have got, I think they would, I think PSG are, are not a bad shout. I think over two legs, if United are going to have any chance of going through against um a group winner. I think PSG was a handy one to get. I disagree. Um, I think they, the only chance United had was against Porto. Um, well, maybe, yeah. I think I think PSG are, are very strong under Tuchel, um, and I think they're they are serious contenders to win this thing this year. Yeah, they, I they, also agree. They nearly they nearly um, they they nearly screwed it up. That's true um, by losing at Liverpool, but that's there's no disgrace there. Um, they recovered quite well from that, and very yeah, well. for me, I think um, PSG are one of the teams to 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 watch in this tournament. They were brilliant against Liverpool in Paris. The way they broke. The speed of the transitions, the efficiency of the transitions, one-two touch, Mbappe is going to be brutal in those wide positions against yeah. our fullbacks. Yeah, I think it could be a hiding for United. And they've really sorted out. They've really sorted out their midfield. Marquinhos and Verratti, the balance they have now. Mm. I mean, they're they're yeah. a dangerous. I could see United running them close at Old Trafford, but that's over, my that's kind of yeah over two legs. I you think. know, what this is going to be like this yeah. time. It's going to be like Manu Bayern when Danny Welbeck was still there. Yeah, and surprisingly uh, close. It'd be, it'd be like, under, imagine we'll put up a spirited resistance. Yeah. I say we might lose like 3-1 on aggregate. It'll be a closer loss on aggregate than we think. <clears throat> yeah, but also, I mean, Tuchel is still, you know, a little bit of a, a, not a rookie, but not a massively experienced Champions League manager. Right. Mourinho is a wily old Champions League fox. Yeah. And PSG are still fairly new to going deep in the Champions League so that's my point about that is that I think PSG are unbelievable and I think Tuchel has done an amazing job this season yeah 
it's just that something about that matchup. I think Mourinho will take, um, like you say, apart from Porto. Yeah. Spurs Dortmund. Ooh, Michael. Oh man. I had a feeling we were going to get them. C- can we not have a Sancho corner that week? I would have to. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to be the best Sancho corner of the season. <laughs> oh no. With Jade on the cast. After his hat trick and yeah. two assists and it's... a 5-0 win oh, at Spurs' brand new stadium. Oh my goodness. It's going to be a great game. I think, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Dortmund are probably, probably the favourites to go through. Um, they've been relentless this season and absolutely superb. Part of the reason they're doing so well is Bayern's downfall. Let's not forget that. But um, I think Spurs have their their hands full there. Um, could be a very attacking couple of games though. Um, I was at Dortmund last year when Spurs beat them um, and it was a superb performance by Tottenham. A real kind of turning point, I think, in their development under Pochettino. But this is a Dortmund, a different Dortmund team and Favre has taken them up a couple of levels. So I feel a bit sorry for Spurs because that's a really tough draw. That's a really brutal draw to get so early. That first leg is going to yeah. be so key as well. Last so, 16, so Dortmund key. is... Oh, yeah. yeah, Dortmund will fancy their chances and I would say that they're just about favourites, but yeah. definitely not going to be easy for, for It's going to be a great tie though. Yeah, it should it's be. Really... Yeah, I mean, it's... I think, yeah, that first leg is so crucial for Spurs. I mean, that's a massive cliche, but that really, really is. If they, if, if Dortmund don't score... And also they've got that the weaknesses. Would be an amazing you know, Zagadou, Spurs, that's, that's true, yeah. They have their weaknesses at the back. They yeah. can be targeted. I think Spurs will score like a couple yeah, of go- goals over the legs, at least a couple of goals. Um, I, can you know, the, I can see it being a really high, like a five all aggregate. Something like that. Yeah, like a. Ooh, ooh, time, 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 time. Sorry, five seconds. Sorry, sorry, oops, sorry. Leon Barcelona. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, Leon Barcelona. Whoa. Yeah, we're done. Leon Barcelona. That's interesting, that one. The I like question this is, draw. The question is, will Nabil Fekir get away with kicking like he did in the last... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Nabil Fekir, but I was like, this man is kicking a lot of people. <laughs> CSK Moscow's like, is that, can they not see it because of the snow or something? Because it was Naughty Nabil. My man is kicking people. They're like, oh, no, he's not. No, he's actually doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, naughty. Naughty Nabil. But Leon Barcelona, Messi is... I don't know if you saw him against Levante. I did. The man was an absolute whirlwind, force of nature, spirit animal. What kind of... What kind of reckless ruthlessness? Fifth in the world. Fifth best player in the, the world. Player in the world. Unbelievable. That the, pass for, the pass for the Suarez goal, the first one, was insane. Did you see, you know, it's so funny when you see the, the, the assist for the Suarez goal for Messi, the three defenders are like, what the hell is he doing? Where's he kicking that? Yeah. You, they, they literally turn their <laughs> you heads You know what it reminded like, me of? You, this is a little bit of a pull, but do you remember when um, Pro Evo used to be called ISS? Yes, and there was this one thing where if you were running to like say the the right of the goal and you were trying to shoot across the goal as if you would normally shoot with your right foot it would do it at an angle where the ball would just shoot at a right angle off but your foot would go the normal way (laughs) and that's what that first assist looked like I was like this is straight out of like ISS Pro 98 (laughs) no 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 how did he not sprain his ankle how did he not sprain his ankle the thing about Barca this year though I think they're really hurt by the fact that Real Madrid have won the last three Champions League and they have this like bit between their teeth Um, Messi's gone Messi's gone full LeBron this season he's just like no one one else is going to do it I'm going to have to do this I I fear for Lyon a bit in this game Um, I don't think it will be a a steamroll job but I think Barca will come through relatively this one's got kind of like 3-1 in Lyon to Barcelona written all over it and then you know just maybe Lyon get the first goal and then it's yeah and then it becomes the messy season yeah right next my goodness Roma Porto 
Can I just say, oh, this is the pre-match nice. food alone. This is the mus- <laughs> you do that. You do that for the pre-match food alone. This is this is the mustache twiddler of the whole oh whole my round, goodness. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... I mean, th- this is going to release its own clothing range. This, uh, I mean, th- th- the creative collaboration this is going to give rise to the poetry, the art. Roma Porter. I mean, it's just. I'd quite like to go to both legs. Sounds, it even sounds nice. Who, Roma was, who was in Porto's group? I've kind of forgotten. Schalke. Schalke. Yeah. They were the other one he went through. So they haven't really. It been wasn't tested a massively a bit, strong but group. Yeah, they haven't really been tested. I mean, Roma Porto. I don't know. It's just delicious, isn't it? Anything <laughs> about it. It's just. That's just two great European football institutions, great clubs, great support, great atmospheres. Yet it's the the game of all of the games there that most people are going to skip past and say, oh, well, it's not... But that's Roma not... so good last time, you know, yeah. the way they knocked out Barca and just... <laughs> this might be the connoisseur's choice without sounding like an absolute it's... idiot, but... Um, if, you, um... if you had to ask me to go home and away on any yacht, it would be that one. Roma, mm. Roma Porto is delicious, I think, as a tie. Yeah. I am hyped about that one. Should we move on to the next one? Yes, Ajax Ajax, Real Madrid. Madrid. Straight out of 1971. Oh my goodness, straight out of the mid-90s. How many European Cups between those two? Uh, 50. Oh wait, how many? 13 for Real, isn't it? And then 4 for Ajax, 17 is it? 17, wow. I think 17. Do you know what though? This is such a... I really, really want... I hope this is more regular in a few years' time. I hope this is normal. You know, I hope like... But maybe in the semi-finals, you know... Ajax Real Madrid semi final of the European Cup. It's just it's so right. It's so, yeah, it's so right. It's, it's you know, cool. and I, I think I think Ajax are going to win this. Um, oh, I think I really hope they do. I, I think Ajax are going to go through because they've got an incredible young team. So so good. You know, they just put three goals past Bayern. Okay, they let in three. Do you know goals, what's so but... funny? Do you know what's so funny? When Ajax Real Madrid got drawn out of the hat, you could sort of hear somewhere in the ether. Johan Croy scribbling notes to hand down to the touchline. You can imagine Johan like on cloud nine. Hey guys, guys, look the triangle, the triangle. I mean, it's such a classic time. Absolutely. I really, really rate Ajax this season. I think a lot of um, the reason that um, the, the Netherlands are are rising again is um, is a lot to do with not just Ajax players, but players that have come from Ajax. Um, and yeah, it's great to see them back. And I truly think... Could, know, could fresh off the, I, think, fresh, I think it could happen for Fresh them. off the back of an 8-0 win, which featured a daily blind hat-trick at the weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Delic winning uh, Golden golden Boy. Actually, can I throw something oh, in, Michael? You've just just uh, further to your point there. In the same way that um, the Netherlands qualifying in such style for the finals of the UEFA Nations League, Wijnaldum emerging, mm. you know, Delic is a Golden Boy. This tie is a real opportunity for Dutch football to be like, to make a statement. Absolutely. Quick you know, shout for Tadic up front as well, by the way, hey, yeah, who listen, is having a lovely sure. time in Amsterdam. Listen, Tadic had a lot of fun against us on the left flank. I've never forgiven him for that. I'm happy for him. My man Tadic. But t- Dutch, Dutch football is rising again and Ajax are at the forefront of that for sure. Absolutely. It's, it, it, this tie is just, oh, it's exquisite. It's exquisite. And finally, Liverpool Bayern. Oh, oh, it's such a knee trembler. Listen, this is the cheese plate after the eight course meal, isn't it? It's just like, what? There's more, and it's great. Oh my three, god! This three. is the this is the pick of the the games. We're so well positioned. Us, oh, listen. Can I just so say many. there are so many, but this is. Can I say the this honor, is something else? The privilege of being a British citizen in Germany to have three big British clubs coming yeah. to English clubs coming here yeah. to play these ties. We have to do some kind True. of like. We've got to Road do like trip. some kind of back to 48 hour, like back to back, like just get the pizzas in. And just, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, Liverpool Bayern. I think um, Klopp's going to love that. Yeah. It's 
Bayern are kind of they're not back, but they've they've you know six games unbeaten at the moment. They seem to have turned the corner a little bit, um, but I think Liverpool are going to have too much for them. This is a good time to play Bayern in Champions League. Like you know, they're always a tough opposition. Don't get me wrong, they're Bayern. At the same time, they have identifiable weaknesses, and Ajax, you know, really exposed them in that three-all draw in the group stages. Yeah, Bayern were going for it, and Ajax. They punched some holes in the it's, rear guard. It's an absolutely crucial yeah. couple of games for Nico Kovac because if they go out, if Bayern lose that game and they don't win the Bundesliga, I cannot see how Kovac can stay. Again, it's a similar kind of issue to Mourinho at United um, where I think he's been, uh, the coach has been let down a bit by the infrastructure, but um, I can't see that ending well for Kovac. I just don't think Klopp has forgotten what happened at Wembley against Bayern when he was Dortmund manager. No. Borussia Dortmund should have won the Champions League that season. Absolutely, Absolutely in my opinion. And they, and I think, I think, I think he was really hurt by that. I mean, losing Goetze because of the transfer and that whole thing. I mean, yeah, it was, Goetze, it was he was injured as well, right? So he was sat the on the bench possible, in the final. Yeah. The worst and, possible preparation for Champions League final. For the yeah, biggest and, game of Klopp's and career. Klopp's record in finals isn't amazing, and but I think that I think there'll be a little, a little bit extra in that in that tie from. I think this is a moment as well. I think you know for the players to say we've arrived as a force, not just a, a you know a, a challenging force when they just you know, they destroyed City, but we are a front runner to win this whole thing. Let's yeah, make and I mean, I mean, now. I mean, let's get real as well. They kind of escaped from the group, really. Yes, you know they left them. They left it way later than they should have done with that group, and um, they're gonna they're gonna need another night like they did against Napoli right. than they had against Napoli at Anfield. And you know, I mean. Big European nights at Anfield. Well, There's not a lot yeah. of places that do it better. So, and Liverpool do have a precedent for narrowly escaping the early stages and going on and building yeah. momentum. So, mm. you know, they're as good a bet as anyone to to lift the trophy. Very true. And that brings us to the end, I think, of this podcast. But not only this podcast, but this year of podcasts. It's gone so quick. It's already our twenty fifth podcast. Twenty fifth. Mm. This is our twenty fifth. Can podcast. I say? Can I just say? Look, um, it's been an absolute joy, both of you. Uh, is this going to get emotional? It is. I'm very emotional. Look, I, honestly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't talk about this very much because you know I'm, I like to separate my personal private lives. <laughs> but um, if you'd said to me that I'd be enjoying talking football, analysing football so much this time a year ago, I wouldn't have necessarily agreed. And I think this podcast has given me a lot of. It's revitalised my sort of approach to football, and I, I've loved it. And it's been great hearing from audience members. Thank you so much, all of you, for chipping in with your comments. And thank you, Michael and Ryan. It's been a real oh, pleasure. Me, uh, Good to hear, me, sir. Good no, to hear me, sir. If I, if I, if someone had told me a year ago that someone would let me talk about football once a week and record it, <laughs> I would have been like, get out of here. Yeah, it's been a real so joy. So thank you, Michael. You're yeah. still on your probation, Ryan. <laughs> hey, if I haven't proved my worth yet, considering I, was, I wasn't even allowed to talk when we started this podcast. Listen, I just want to say to all listeners out there, we are only as good as our last hot takes. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, only but, as warm. But, but joking aside, thank you so much for... Tuning all of you, please tell a friend, tell an enemy. Quick bit of housekeeping before we run. Oh yeah, sure. If you can, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes, please. We're starting to get a few more. I've noticed they're, mm. they're creeping up a little bit and that will really help because we're going to do a little bit of a boost in the new year for the podcast. And yeah. if it looks like we have listeners, yeah. then maybe they'll bump <laughs> us a little bit higher up the yeah. list. Just create the, the illusion. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, I suppose just thanks to everyone yeah. who's been tuning in so far and helping us spread the word and keep your feedback coming because yeah, it's nice to know that people are listening please rate please like 
Yeah. Please subscribe. Will... My dad stopped texting me about the podcast, so I think we've lost a listener. So if we can replace <laughs> it with a few. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and just, I mean, I've said this before many times, but you can find us on all those platforms, the same handle, at Mag. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the same, uh, all the same handle. More stuff going up on the site. Absolutely, loads of so much, so much festive goodness. <laughs> Have a fantastic festive season, each of you, wherever you're celebrating, whoever you're celebrating with, and uh, we'll catch the new year. Mm-hmm.